Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So just uh, so you're all aware, that is, who is, that is who this letter is from. So this letter is written by Paul, one of the apostles, one of the uh, uh, kind of early founders of the church, um, and Timothy is with him. Uh, and they describe themselves as servants of Christ Jesus. And the next sentence tells us who it's to. To all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So as Amy said, we're currently um, in this series and this series we're going to be looking at joy. That's what this series is about. It's about where do we find joy? And the reason we're talking about that in this series where we're going to look through the letter of Philippians is because this letter is filled with stuff about joy. The word joy itself, I think, is used 17 times across the letter, but it's not just the amount of time that joy is talked about. The letter is incredibly positive. That The tone and feel of it is full of affection and love and kindness and a whole load of stuff. And in it, what we're going to get is this sense of, from Paul, where he finds his joy and where he thinks the Philippian Christians can find their joy. But this is a letter of joy written from a Roman prison cell. So we just have to have that in our minds as we're, as we're thinking about this. Okay, this is a letter of joy, filled with joy, filled with encouragement, filled with a whole load of affection and warmth, written from about the worst place you can imagine trying to write a letter from. Written from this prison cell in Rome where you are unclear, do you come out of this alive or do you come out of this merely to your execution? How is it that Paul can experience joy in that situation? Because surely, if we can work that out, if we can work out how Paul can still find joy in that situation, surely that gives us hope for our situations, doesn't it? Like, you might not like your house, but it's not a Roman prison cell. You might have some stuff going on that you're not sure about, but you're probably not unsure about whether you're going to be executed in the near future. If Paul can say, can feel joy and find joy in that, then there is hope for every one of us in this room that we too can find joy. That's what I want us to go into this letter believing. The, the temptation is you sit there and you think, okay, I get that you know, Ben might be able to find joy. I get that some other people, but me, there's just too much going on in my life. It's too hard. But if Paul can write this letter from that place, if Paul can learn to 
find joy in all different kinds of circumstances, then there's hope for every one of us. And what we're going to find as we look at how Paul finds his joy is that we're going to find out how the gospel, the good news of all that Christ has done, enables him to find joy in all the different circumstances of his life. And this week, we're going to look at one element of that. We're going to look at partnership. How Paul can find joy in partnering in the gospel with other Christians, even when these other Christians are hundreds of miles away in the city of Philippi. That's what I want us to think about. When I was 11 or 12 years old, somewhere around then, I, um, I landed a part in our school's production of a play that I think was called The Happiest Days of Your Life. I, I auditioned for this. I, you know, there was, the notice went up on the school notice board, you know, looking for budding actors to be in our school production. And I, as a little year seven, saw this and saw the opportunity for fame and glory. And I, and I, I rocked up for this audition. And I auditioned for the part of the Reverend Edward Peck, a mild-mannered parent who was also a clergyman of one of the school uh, children. Uh, and I turned up and I read the lines and I left confident that I would be the Reverend Edward Peck in this performance. As it was, the teachers who I auditioned for found another role for me. They decided that I was better suited for the role of Edgar Souter, who was a shouty man, <laughs> who was also the parents of one of the uh, school children, and basically spent the entire play being angry with someone about something. Now, you can read into my teacher's decisions about how well they judged my abilities or lack of them in that. Um, but what followed was months and months and months of rehearsals. That's what we did. It was like, I think it was, it was like once a week for the first like three or four months. And then as you got close to it, it was like twice a week. And then by the end, it was like every night after school in there getting, getting ready for, for this play. And, and I was the youngest person in the play. Um, and, and there were a lot of kind of up to year 11s in it and kind of quite a few year 11s and then a few kind of other people. But I was this new kind of young year seven was, was the youngest person in the play. Um, but what I remember about it, as I cast my mind back, was the incredible sense of like camaraderie that you get in those kind of things. I don't know if you've ever been in like a play or a, a performance or a production of anything like that. There's this incredible sense of like togetherness with it. You know, there's this incredible sense of encouraging each other, helping each other to learn their lives. Very kind of um, kind of easygoing when people make mistakes, trying to get the best version of this that you can get together. Now, I don't know what your secondary school was like, but my secondary school wasn't known for camaraderie, and especially not camaraderie between, like, years. Like, year seven stuck with year sevens, and year eight stuck with year eights, and year nine stuck with year... There was no real mixing between the school years. Uh, and even within that, there wasn't this whole sense of, like, great togetherness and warmth within that. But in this little bubble of this school production, that was what was going on there. We all worked hard. We helped each other, we encouraged each other, we supported each other, resulting in what I think can only be described as the best performance of the happiest days of your life that anybody in that room has ever seen. 
I'm basing that on the fact that I don't think anyone had seen a version before or after. It's not the kind of thing you'd revisit, like, oh, that was good, let's find a different version. So, so, so we got it together, and at the end, at the final night, then everyone's just on this massive high, as you've done your, like, I can't remember, I think we did three nights, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and by Friday night, you have the kind of after after party thing and everyone's together and you're on this incredible high as you as you look back at, at what you've achieved now now i could have talked about many many things there i could have talked about being in a band i could have talked about playing for a football team i could have talked about helping to decorate someone's house i could have talked about wayne's plan to enter the raft race um, i've already put myself forward as chief engineer um i, I think it's pretty much guaranteed i'm going to get that role too um <laughs> but the point is simple. There's something incredibly fun, incredibly rewarding, dare we even say incredibly joyful, about working together with other people to achieve some common goal. Whatever that is, whether it's winning a football match, whether it's putting on a show, whether it's building a raft, there's something that brings great joy as people get together and you work on that together. And so we turn to the start of this letter, thinking about joy. Where do we find joy? And Paul describes the joy he experiences because of the partnership in the gospel which exists between Paul and these Philippian Christians. I, I love it. As, as he writes, he paints this picture of himself. You'll see it in those kind of first verses if you just cast your mind down. He paints this picture where he's in this prison cell, potentially a significant amount of time alone, probably not all the time. He'd have had guards, Timothy, he had visitors. But he's in this, he's in this cell. And as he's in his, this cell, his, he, his mind goes to the Philippian church, those Christians that he knows over in Philippi. And as he thinks about them, he can't help but pray for them. And as he remembers them, and he remembers, oh, well, there was that person, there was that person, there was that, there was that person. Wasn't it great when we did that thing together? He, he thinks about them, and as he thinks about them, he prays about them. And as he prays about them, you get this picture of he just, just this smile comes across his face. As he remembers them in that prison cell, there's just that real sense of joy as he looks at them and remembers them. In some ways, that's so normal, so very human. You might have people in your life who, when you think of them, you smile. When you remember them, when you think about times you spent with them, it just brings a, a warmth to you. But, but this is more than simply that. This is the affection and cam camaraderie which comes from working with people for some common aim. You see, we love that feeling so much that we make up things to do to give us that feeling. We make up like pointless, I mean, they're not entirely pointless, but we make up like pointless quests that we can do together. So, you know, it might be like climbing mountains. You know, I'm gonna climb all these mountains. What do we do? We get a group of people together. And we're like, yes, let's do it. And you do your training if you need to. And then you're like, right, let's go and get there. You see, we make up a, nothing gets changed by us climbing the mountain. Like the mountain's still there, everything, the world is still exactly the same as it was before. But we just love that sense of, well, we did it together. Very few people just do that stuff by themselves. The, one of the great examples I think of this is like people who are into like marathon watching of like films or like those kind of things. You're like, you set yourself a chance. I'm going to watch the seven Harry Potter films in a 24-hour period. But very few people 
There are some. But very few people do that by themselves. They're like, I just want to sit there by myself and watch seven Harry Potter films back to back. Are there seven? There might even be eight. Um, I think, yeah. Anyway, is it even possible to do it in 24 hours? I don't know. Someone can go home and work it out. But, but very few people do that themselves. What you do is you get a group of people together and you're like, yeah, wouldn't it be great to do it? And you're like, yeah, I'll bring drinks. I'll bring food. And you sit down and you're like, right, when are we going to have the breaks? How are we going to make this work? And you plan it all out and you do it. And it's entirely pointless. It's not even fun. <laughs> but what makes it fun is there's a group of people who you go like, we're going to do this, we're going to achieve it together. It's the same with computer games where you build your like, clans or whatever it is. It's the same with, like, I don't know, building a shed or something. Whatever it is, you do these things and you do them together and it's in the doing them together that you experience some of the joy of that. We enjoy partnering with people so much that we invent reasons to do it. But this... Here, what Paul describes is so much more than that. Because this is not some random partnering intended to just build a sense of team or increase morale. This is not a team-building exercise that Paul has kind of undertaken here. This is partnership in the gospel. They didn't sit down and think, wouldn't it be nice to do something together? Let's find something that we could do together as a group. Wouldn't that be fun? And then come up with a project. No, this is what happened. They heard the good news of a God who loved them enough to become one of them, to die for them, to offer them a new life through the forgiveness of sins. And they were so blown away by this that they began pursuing that, longing to understand it better, to enjoy it more, to tell other people about it. And they recognized that doing that, learning more about it, enjoying it, telling other people, they, they recognized that doing that was a lot more fun if they did it with other people. It was a lot more effective if they did it with other people. It was a lot more rewarding if they did it with other people. If they partner with other people in that pursuit, it's just so much better. Now maybe you're here today and you are desperately looking for something to be a part of. Something to be a part of. Somewhere to belong. Maybe you're looking for some community, some people to connect with. Or, or maybe you're looking for something more than that. Maybe you're looking for some meaning, something bigger than you, a reason to live, a life worth pursuing. Maybe you're sat here this afternoon and you're just desperate for something transcendent, something spiritual. If that's you, I just want to encourage you. You're in a good place here. And this is a good place to be feeling like that. Because in the gospel, you will find something bigger than yourself. You will find a God who loves you and cares for you. You will find a life worth pursuing. You will find a family to be a part of. You will find the spiritual life you're looking for. In the gospel, you will find people to partner with in the work of knowing God, enjoying him, loving each other, making him known. The partnership you can find in the gospel is better than any other partnership you will find. It's better even than Wayne's Raft Race team. Okay? It's going to be, it's going to be the, the partnership you'll find in the gospel is going to be even better than that. Why is it going to be better than that? Well, it's going to be better than that because it's going to be deeper than that. Because you're going to be partnering about something where 
which really matters. You're going to be partnering about the good news of a God who loves you and loves other people. That partnership is going to be this. The partnership you'll find in the gospel is going to be deeper than any other partnership you can find. The partnership you can find in the gospel is also going to be better because it's going to be supernaturally empowered. You see, partnerships don't really last. Partnerships, they just don't last. They, they last for a season. Your football team, it lasts for a, a, a tiny period of time and then people leave, people come. Maybe the whole team folds. I very much doubt that in 20 years we'll be like 20 years in a row returning champions of Hartlepool Laugh Race. Like, it's just not going to happen. We might do a year if we're lucky. You never know. It might go all out. We might get to two. But we're not going to be like 50 years on still doing it. Partnerships don't last. That's why companies fold. That's why bands fall to pieces. That's why churches, you don't have many churches out there that were like formed, AD 33, just smashed it out for 2,000 years since then. It doesn't happen. Partnerships don't last. But a partnership in the gospel can last because it is supernaturally empowered. And how do I know that? Because Paul says it in verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's what he's saying there. He's saying the partnership is going to last. And the reason it's going to last is because God created this partnership and God is going to sustain it until the day that Jesus returns. Why is the partnership you'll find the gospel so much better than any other partnership you'll find? Because it's deeper than any other, because it's supernaturally empowered, and also because it's meaningful. This is a partnership where you are together going to seek after God, to know him better, to experience more of his love, to make him known, to make a difference in this world, to love other people and care for them, to find a family who you can walk through the ups and downs of life with. That's the partnership in the gospel. And that is where Paul finds joy. If you, if you are here today and you know the gospel, like you don't just like know information about it, but you know it, you know a God who loves you, a God who died for you, a God who, God who rescued you. If you know that, then don't you know this truth already? Don't you know how much better life is when Christians partner together than when they don't? Don't you know that your joy in the gospel increases as you partner with other Christians in it and it diminishes when you don't? You see, working hard for the gospel can feel absolutely amazing and it can feel like a massive drag. It can feel about both those things. And I know this from however many years of doing it, sometimes working for churches, sometimes just in my life outside that. I know there's times where it can feel like the best thing in the world. So I wouldn't want to be doing anything else with my time. And there's times where it can feel like, man, do I have to do that again? What's the difference? Often the difference is the degree to which you feel like you're partnering with other people in that. When you feel like you're slogging away at something and no one else really cares about it, it's easy to become disheartened, even a little bit resentful. Let me give you some examples. You come to church on a Sunday and you, you, come, you come early because your life group's on set up. You get down, you're, you're here, ready to do it. But no one else from your life group makes it. How does it feel doing that work then? Well, it can feel, sometimes feel, like a hard, thankless task. You find yourself wondering, why do I bother when no one else bothers? But when you come down and your life group are out in force, 
suddenly it feels different. Suddenly you enjoy it a whole lot more. Suddenly you find that you're having ideas about, oh, maybe we could set it up a bit like this. Maybe that would work a bit better. Oh, we could try this. Maybe we could do that. Suddenly you're having ideas about things that might serve the church better. Suddenly, you find that you're excited about what God might do on that Sunday afternoon. You're like, I set this up, and what if this afternoon God uses that to just encourage someone else? What if God uses that to bring someone new into his family? Suddenly, you find yourself getting excited about what might happen during this afternoon that you helped set up. What's the difference? In one of it, you feel like you're at it alone. In the other, you feel like you're partnering with people in that. One is an incredibly joyful experience. The other, not so much. Or or let's give another example. You turn up to a life group gathering. We have life group gatherings during the week, Wednesday evenings. If you're not in one, get yourself in one. Um, We have these. Imagine you turn up to a life group gathering, but you just feel like you're carrying it. No one else maybe offers to like wash up or do the drinks. uh, And you're like, come on, guys. Like, why am I just doing all this myself? Or, Or maybe... You're in a life group, and people do that, but it's when it comes to the study, to the discussion, you just feel like, man, am I the only one who wants to like, talk about this stuff? Like, it feels like you're just like, desperately trying to pull blood out of a stone. But when you turn up, and there's a buzz around the place, everyone's mucking in. During the study, you feel like it's not so much that you're just trying to make something happen. It feels like together, you're grappling with it. Together, you're trying to go, what might God be saying to us here? What might God be communicating? What might God actually want us to do on the back of this? Well, then it feels entirely different. That's why mission weeks or kids clubs or the kind of beach mission that um, we were hearing about earlier, that's why those things uh, can be so valuable because they can feel great because in them we get a sense of partnering together, working together at something worthwhile. What is that thing? Knowing, enjoying, proclaiming the goodness of the God who has begun working in us and who we are confident will complete that work. Where does Paul find his joy? He finds his joy in partnering with other Christians to know God, enjoy him, make him known. But that's not easy. The early church didn't find it easy. They weren't just like this great united bunch who were just having like just the best time ever doing this stuff together. That wasn't what was going on. The church struggled to keep united. If you read through Philippians, you're going to see a lot of Paul encouraging them to just stay united, stay together. Don't let yourself split because the gospel unites, but sin separates. That's really the story of the gospel at one level. The story of the gospel at one level is that sin came in the world and it separated. It separated people from God and it separated people from each other. You read about that in Genesis 3. They, they go, the people reject God and suddenly God and people are separated. And also Adam and Eve are suddenly blaming each other and hiding from each other. Separation, that's what sin does. What does the gospel do? It brings people back together. That's the point of it. But sin is always trying to destroy partnership. Let me give you a few ways it does it. Selfishness is always tempting us to ignore other people rather than partner with them. Envy is always prompting us to knock other people down and build ourselves up. Laziness is always telling us that someone else will do it. Those things are so tempting. 
Man, it's so tempting to be selfish. It's so tempting to be envious. It's so tempting to be lazy. But I just want to make one thing entirely clear. And if you want to like, argue with me about this afterwards, I'm very happy to have this argue, argument. No one has ever found joy in selfishness or envy or laziness. Man, they're tempting. They feel so appealing. No one's ever found joy in those things. Ever. There's no joy to be found there. No. Where do we find joy? Well, again and again, we find joy in partnering with others. That's where we find joy. Especially when we get to partner not only with each other, but with God in the amazing work he's doing in his world. That's where Paul finds joy. That's where you'll find joy. Whether you're in a prison cell, whether you're in a five-star hotel, whether you're in a mansion, wherever you are, you will find joy there. So, how do we feed that kind of partnership? How do we show that that's our attitude towards other Christians? I'm going to give you a couple of suggestions. The first thing you can do is what we see Paul doing right here at the start of this letter. And what is that? Giving thanks. He thanks God for them. It's where he starts, verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. He remembers their partnership in the past. He looks back on his time in Philippi. You know, as they worked together to get this church off the ground, there was nothing there. There were no Christians. He meets a few people. They come to follow Jesus. They start building a church there. He, he looks back at that time. He looks back at that partnership. And as he does it, he gives thanks to God. And he also remembers their partnership right now. Their concern for him, their ongoing work to proclaim Christ. And as he does that, his affections for them are stirred and he overflows in thanks to God. Everybody, pretty much, in the world agrees that thankfulness is good for us. Christians, non-Christians alike, agree that all the research shows there is a positive link between thankfulness and joy. You don't have to be a Christian to think that. You can Google it when you get home. You'll find any number of papers that show that there is a direct link between how thankful people are and how joyful they are. If you want to live a joyful life, then what the research shows is that you should practice thankfulness. And here is a great place to start. Start by being thankful for the other Christians God has put around you and the way that they help you to know God, enjoy God, and make him known. God put other Christians around you for your good. They're supposed to be a means of growth and a source of joy. So we should be thankful for them. Thankful for how they help us grow. Thankful for the joy they bring into our lives. But it's not easy to relate to people like that. It's easy to let sin, both theirs and ours, come in and just strangle our joy and our thankfulness. We start focusing on their sin rather than on the signs of God's grace in their lives. We start competing with them rather than collaborating with them. We take for granted all that God is doing through them and instead we focus on all the things that they are not doing and so we quickly find ourselves complaining rather than giving thanks. Again, 
joy will not be found in resentment or complaining. I don't know why we do so much of it. Because you'll never find joy in it. So easy to complain. There's something that's kind of slightly addictive about it. There's something that feels slightly good about it at the moment. You will never find joy in it, though. You will never find joy in complaining. But you will find joy in thanksgiving. So why not, here's what I want to suggest to you, why not work out this week, don't like put it off to some like indefinite point in the future, why don't you this week sit down and work out how am I going to incorporate giving thanks for other Christians into my life? What are you actually going to do? What, what I do, by all means, you might have a better option, but what I do is I have everyone in my life group and I just split them out across the days of the week. And on that day, I pray for those people in my life group, and I give thanks for them, and I pray whatever it is I'm praying for them. That's what I do. If you haven't got any better ideas, I'll give you that one for free. Um, but you can, you can think of your own. What is it you're going to do? Because if you do it, if you start to incorporate thanksgiving, thankfulness for other Christians into your life, you will be more joyful. All the research shows it. And Paul's lived out experience shows it. And probably your lived out experience shows it. You probably know it to be true. So that's the first thing we can do to build this partnership. We can give thanks. Here's the second thing we can do. We don't stop at Thanksgiving. Yes, we're thankful, but we're also ambitious. We've had a taste and now we want more. This is where Paul goes in verse 9. This is his prayer, that their love may abound more and more. Their love for who? Well, it could, it could be their love for God. It, it could be. Like, that would be a good thing to pray, that their love for God would abound more and more. But given that this whole section's been about partnership, it's much more likely that what he's talking about is their love for each other, that their love for each other would abound more and more. He's so thankful for their partnership, he finds such joy in it, and then what does he do? He prays for more. It's not like, oh, this partnership's so great, it's just so brilliant, let's just like hope that it just stays. It's like, it's so great, but wouldn't it be great if there was even a bit more? Wouldn't it be great if we loved each other a bit more? Wouldn't it be better if we could partner a bit more? It's amazing, but it's still not all that it could be. There is love, but there could be more. There is wisdom and insight, but there could be more. That's Paul's great prayer for them. Not that they would be spared suffering. Not that their difficult lives would go away. Not that they would get a job. Not that they would be healed. But that they would grow in love and knowledge and discernment. Here's what I'm saying. If you, out there, on the back of this, or already in your life, you are going to pray for me. So I'm just going to imagine that all of you this week are going to pray for me. If you're going to pray for me, this is what I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray that I would love other Christians more. I want you to pray that I would have discernment and insight to know how best to partner with you. If, if you, when you look at me, think, I'd like Ben to be joyful, this, that's what I want you to pray for me, because that's what will do it. Pray that I'd love Christians better. Pray that I'd partner with Christians more wholeheartedly. Pray that I'd have better wisdom and insight to know how to do that. If you want me to be joyful, pray that for me. Because that's where joy is found. 
So we look to partner with each other. We look to work together to proclaim Christ. We give thanks for the partnership that there is, and we pray for more. But why? Like, why do we do all that? Why are we so committed to partnership? Well, we're committed to it because in it we find joy. But look with me at verses 10 and 11. Just, I'm going to give you three reasons why we do this. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Three things. Here's the first. We want to do this because as we partner together we make sure that we're ready for Christ's return. We make sure we're ready for Christ's return. One of the best bits of the shows that I've been in was that after party you have on the final night. You look back on the performance and you remember the stuff which went well and you laugh about the things which went badly. You celebrate what you were able to achieve. That's where we want to be when Christ returns, isn't it? When Christ returns... We want to be looking back at our partnership and reflecting with amazement at all that God was able to do through and in us during our lives. So partner with other Christians so you're ready for that day. So that you're, to take um, Paul's language, so that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That's why you should partner with other Christians. Second reason you should partner with other Christians. So that you may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. As we partner together, we're filled with the fruit of righteousness. God has ordained it that it's through our relationships we grow in the fruit of righteousness. God will grow fruit in us and he will grow it as we partner with each other. It's as we partner with other Christians that we grow in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and self-control and gentleness. In fact, it's pretty hard to imagine what growth would look like in any of those areas outside of partnership. You don't grow in those things by yourself. You grow in those things with other people because it's with other people that you need to be gentle. It's with other people that you need to be patient. It's with other people that you need to be kind. If you want to grow as a Christian partner with other Christians, partner in the gospel. And in all of this, what's our ultimate goal? Well, we see it right at the end, to the glory and praise of God. That God who adopted us, who brought us into this family, who equipped us to love and partner with each other, who decided to involve us in his great work of transforming this world and rescuing his people. He is the one who this partnership points to. He is the source and the strength, and the focus of that partnership. And as we find the joy he intended for us, we can't help but praise the one who's done so much for us. Let me pray.